Hey everybody, Mike Montague here with another Playful Humans podcast, and my guest this week is Ralph Velasco. Uh, he is the Continental Drifter, and we are going to learn about his travel photography and international uh, travels as a tour organizer and how he gets to play for a living. Ralph says life's too short to not travel, and I agree. We're talking about making memories this week here. If you need more fun, flow, and fulfillment in your life, go to PlayfulHumans.com. We've got a playfulness quiz up there. You can see how burnt out you are uh, and lots of good ideas for adults to rediscover the power of play in your life. Go to PlayfulHumans.com. Here we go. Ralph, we like to start with the joke of the week. The joke of the week is brought to you by Albert Einstein. I just found out he was a real person. I thought he was a theoretical physicist. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I did there? All right. Uh, the official joke of the week is uh, why don't pirates take baths before walking the plank? Oof, I feel like I've heard this one. I don't know. They just wash up on shore. Oh, my goodness. All <laughs> right. There we go. <laughs> Uh, I like it. Uh, Ralph, tell me about your, uh, how you got into this. Have you always been a travel photographer and uh, love travel? Or did you have like an office job selling insurance or something and then a midlife crisis? What happened? Yeah, uh, all of those things. uh, Yeah, I started (laughs) out with, uh, I've owned uh, several restaurants. I sold real estate for a while. I was a financial advisor and uh, at the dawn of digital photography, what I'll say is, say, say the early 2000s, uh, I had my second restaurant in downtown Chicago. 9-11 had just happened. And I was coming up to the end of my initial three-year lease and having to decide if I was going to sign for another five years. And so I had decided that I was going to uh, sell, uh, found a buyer, and had been thinking about and working on um, creating some walking tours that had digital photography at their core. So to oh, teach cool. people how to use these new digital devices. And this is back in 2001, two, three. And um, so I was in downtown Chicago, which is a great place uh, as out of a rap as it sometimes get gets and uh so i but i felt that the the weather which isn't as bad as it comes off either but uh i felt that uh doing walking tours would probably be better in a place that had better weather and so i was looking for a way to move back to california southern california where i had lived before and a friend of mine said why don't you get your financial advisors licenses and come out here and work for me. He had a brokerage firm. So I said, well, that's a way to get out there, hopefully make some money and be able to start this business on the side. And so I started teaching um, at the local city of Newport Beach adult education program, uh, doing one-on-ones with people, just uh, sitting across from them at their kitchen table, teaching them how to use their one megapixel cameras, and then doing some walking tours in the local area, 
which was beautiful because it was in Southern California near the beach where I was living. And so uh, that was great. And at the same time, I was doing the financial services. And so in September of 2008, we all know what happened. If you recall, we had the financial crisis. And so I'd been doing that, uh, doing uh, advising and the uh, teaching on the side for about three years. But that was uh, sort of the uh, kick in the pants that I needed. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to burn all the bridges. I'm going to get out of the financial advisor business because I was not enjoying it. And this is the kick in the pants. I need to do this full time. And so that's uh, September of 2008 is when I, I, I say I went full time. So I'm coming up right on about 15 years ago and that was the best day of my life was uh, that financial crisis believe it or not that's so awesome i i love that and we do record these live so if you're watching on uh, youtube facebook uh linkedin twitch whatever if you have a question for ralph you can chime those in in the chat and i can pull them up here but my first question for you ralph is you skipped over the restaurant uh what type of restaurant was it yeah, so I was I was a third generation restaurateur. My grandparents had restaurants. My parents uh, had uh, were the first franchisees of a, a medium sized chain of uh, chicken uh, fried chicken restaurants here in Chicagoland called Brown's Chicken, and they did that for a good fifty forty five fifty years. Uh, I had two restaurants right when I graduated from college. I bought a, a Chicago hot dog stand which uh, is not a cart on the street. It's uh, in Chicago, they're actual restaurants. Uh, and it's at, it's at about 27 people and was a, a nice little little place in my hometown that I used to go to when I was a kid. Uh, and it was still around and came up for sale. My dad was thinking about buying it. And I, and I was just graduating from Indiana University School of Business. And uh, I said, what do you think if I were to buy it? And uh, he was up for it and he thought it was a good idea and so i bought that and ran it for a couple of years so that was a typical chicago hot dog stand they call it and uh, and then later the second restaurant was more of an italian deli in downtown chicago uh, wow, that's cool. I enjoy both of those. Uh, I would have been in on that. I did the restaurant business for a while in, in college and stuff, and I feel like it's uh, a tough one to keep doing. It, it kind of sounds fun at the beginning, and it is fun at the beginning, but then the uh, the hours and uh, the money and stuff can be tough, and uh, it's just you got to keep that up and, and stay popular for a long time. That's a really tough one to, to go long term in, but some people might be interested in that, and they've always dreamed about opening a restaurant or something, so I wanted to, to ask you a little bit about that. Now, tell me about photography, because I think with international travel and photography, Two things came to mind. Number one was making memories. And number two was capturing those memories or capturing uh, whatever you're trying to do on photography. Let's go with the first one and start with international travel. I found that like in the pandemic, when you don't do anything, when your life's just repetitive, you're in the same town, the same house, doing the same job, driving the same roads every day, you're not making new memories. You're not challenging your brain. And so your brain can basically just create it as a habit and just go, okay, we're going to work again. And you can drive 
drive there without even thinking about it. But when you do international travel, your brain has to wake up, become a, alive. You're making new memories. And when you look back on your life, you have a lot more memories to look back on. It makes your life seem longer and, and fuller. What would you say uh, besides that, Amplify It, or uh, what were the biggest benefits of international travel for you? How come you love it? Yeah, I've always uh, been invigorated by being out of my comfort zone and being somewhere else where there's a different language. Uh, I have to figure out the currency and, uh, you know, the signs and how to get around and all those things. Uh, I've always been invigorated by that. And uh, so I seek that out. Uh, Some people prefer, uh, you know, that's why they don't want to travel. So, you know, that's that's kind of an interesting thing. But, um, yeah, I've always been a traveler since I was 15, and I studied in Spain for a summer during high school. Um, That really kicked it off for me. And uh, the next summer, I was a volunteer in Peru. The next summer, I volunteered in Venezuela. And the next summer, I studied in Mexico City. And these are for a month and a half to two and a half months, you know, not just for a week or two here and there. So uh, those are pretty deep dive uh, programs and uh, really got me hooked on international travel. Uh, I think that's really interesting. I did a little volunteer work uh, as well and got to go to Belize and do a water quality study and like the rainforest and the coral reef and and stuff. It was a really cool opportunity. And uh, one of the places I recommend, they speak English and the uh, Belize is tied to the dollar. So it's really easy. They'll take American dollars and everything. Uh, cool spot. But um, how did you even get into those programs and stuff? Did you just look for it and actively seek out or, or did one kind of just follow each other there? They kind of followed each other. And the first one, the Spain program was through my high school. So it was a kind of a study abroad during high school program. It wasn't a semester abroad, but a summer study program of about six weeks and then the Peru program was also through my high school, and it was a uh, kind of a, what they called social justice. So it was a you know way to introduce these uh, let's say suburban kids to you know what it's what the reality is that's out there, and uh, so that was a really good uh, program for us. And then the following one was kind of uh, so it was a, a group called Amigos de las Americas. And they had these programs all over the uh, the Americas, and uh, so I kind of got that through this, and that that's uh, I got to, I think because of my experience in Spain and Peru, they put me in Venezuela, which was a more sort of off the beaten path uh, location that they had at the time, because other words were Mexico and you know maybe the Caribbean and some closer by countries. Uh, and Venezuela at the time was really great. Unfortunately, it's really taken a deep dive since. But uh, yeah, so kind of one moved into the other. And then the, the, the Mexico program was through my university, Indiana University, once I got there. What's your best moment from traveling internationally? And what was the worst moment? Oh, boy. Um, had a lot of great moments and very few worse moments. Um, very, uh, I guess, lucky. But, uh, you know, I think the the more conscious you are, the more experienced you are, the luckier you get with uh, those kinds of things. Uh, so, you know, the best moment is just, uh, you know, I could think of a dozen or more different people that I've met in these places that have uh, affected me, that I learned from, that 
you know, I admire and, you know, just getting that different perspective of people around the world and, and knowing that, you know, the U.S. isn't the be all end all. And, you know, we're not necessarily always right or, you know, doing the right thing. And so it's it's such a great thing to get the perspective of other people around the world. Now, what do you think are like some common misconceptions or myths? You do a lot of international tool tours uh, as an organizer here. Um, what are some common mistakes people make and maybe any tips or tricks you have for anybody that wants to you know, do their first international trip? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, going and trying some people uh, I talk about moving to I'm going to move to Europe at some point in the near future, hopefully in the next two to three years. And uh, I, I dream about buying a little farmhouse and, you know, the Portuguese countryside or somewhere. But uh, they say that you should definitely rent for a while and test each place out, which uh, is what I'm going to do. Um, setting expectations and and having realistic expectations, I think, uh, makes for travel that uh, you know doesn't uh, blindside you. So having a real good understanding of what you're getting into. Uh, which is what I try to do with my trips. Um, so I try to be very upfront with what a potential client is going to experience and can expect on our trips. And I learned that early on that, you know, first you're like, well, I'll take anyone to come on a trip, you know, cause you're just starting, starting a business. But uh, then you realize that uh, that can go against you in the long run. And so, um, you know, I didn't want someone to come on a trip that say was expecting a, a photo workshop, which to me is like 12 hours a day, all photography all the time. And that wasn't the kind of trip I was providing. So I didn't want those people to be uh, you know, blindsided by not uh, setting those expectations. So that was really important to me. Now, I think that's a good transition right into the photography. So capturing these moments and, and what you're doing, I feel like is... Um, a really cool hobby. It's certainly anything you can do for, for fairly cheap. You can start with, like you said, a, a real uh, cheap digital camera or your phone and, and start taking pictures, but it can get expensive. But I, I think sometimes also if you're on an international trip, like you just mentioned, it could distract from the experience. And I've seen people at concerts, you know, trying to film the whole thing on their cell phone rather than enjoying like the rock star that's in front of them that traveled thousands of miles to to play their favorite song. Uh, how do you, it sounds like you have a good balance of the two. How do you think about the difference between just enjoying the trip and the photography that you're doing, add, adding to it instead of subtracting? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point and something that uh, uh, in my book, I sort of end with, I say uh, travel photography is two words. Spend as much time traveling as you are photographing and experiencing the place. And one of the things that really stuck with me from that Peru trip back in 1980, when I was 16 years old, was the, uh, this was uh, through my high school, which was a, a Jesuit all boys high school at the time. It's now gone co-ed, but uh, we had priests and um, you know, my, uh, proctors with us that were 
uh, you know, the, the leaders of the trip, but we were 16 year old boys and, and our leaders turns out were 23 year old boys, <laughs> probably, right. you know, uh, you think about how young they were, but you know, they were the authority on the strip, but, uh, make a long story longer. What they really tried to instill in us at, before even going was to be here now. And I'll always remember that it's to be there, appreciate being there, absorb it. Don't always be thinking about, oh, I wish I was back in, you know, at home, my, my mother's cooking or, you know, someone to do my laundry and those. It's about experiencing the place then and there now. Uh, so that always stuck with me. But again, that I, I that's another thing about a photo workshop that I got away from very quickly when I first started. Cause I, I didn't know, you know, I had no experience when I first started. We, we don't, none of us do when we first start something, but um, you know, I thought photo workshops was what I wanted to lead. But then when I realized what they really are, and that is 12 hours a day, every sunrise, sunset, et cetera, that's a, a pretty grueling two weeks. And I have to do that 10, 12 times a year with groups. So, um, and then I saw in these workshops that some people just spent the whole time with their eye to that viewfinder. And to me, you know, yeah, you can create some great memories, you know, digitally, but are you, you know, were you really there and experiencing the place with your mind's eye? And I think that's, just as important. And the other thing is, as the older I get, the more important that becomes to me, the more I'm about put the camera down. That's that's the last tip in my book is put the camera down. And I tell people to do that uh, on our trips and not just see the place through the viewfinder of a camera. I love that. It's great advice and right in line with what we talk about here at, at Playful Humans. But I wanted to get a few photography tips from you, too. Do you feel like uh, most of the people are you working with, are they amateurs just looking to capture their vacations and stuff? Are they trying to take shots and start a travel blog or sell the pictures and, and be professionals? There's a lot of things you can do in, in photography. Where do you find the, the sweet spot from, you know, just getting a good picture to being a professional paid, you know, artist. Yeah. So the people that are coming on my trips these days are very casual photographers. They enjoy photography. They want to take better photos, but uh, they also want to appreciate the place, learn about it, the history, the food, people, culture. Uh, so photography is a part of the trip where with like a photo workshop, that is the trip. And, so um, I you know, really try to encourage people to get those memories, but also get the, you know, the mental memories that you'll always have uh, those experiences for the rest of your life. So I appreciate photography, but I can't say that I'm very good at it or ha or know what I'm doing at all. Uh, it seems to me a little bit of the professionals that I've watched especially in like sports photography or vacations and things is you just take a lot of pictures and then hopefully you get that moment where somebody's smiling and looking and nobody in the family was blinking and, and stuff. And it's, it's a quantity thing, but I'm sure you have some quality tips for us too. you know, facing the light, basic, uh, basic things. But is there anything that is again, like a common misconception that people don't think about that you think would be like, just make an instant difference in their, their pictures. 
Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, we call that uh, spray and pray. You know, you just spray <laughs> a bunch of photographs and you pray something comes out. And there's something to be said about that, of, of course, with like moving subjects and markets and people walking. And uh, like you say, you know, even family portraits where you want, you know, you got 30 people and you want to make sure that everyone's, uh, you know, someone's not blinking. So you take a lot of pictures and, and that's okay. Uh, professional photographers tend to take a lot of pictures especially nowadays with digital uh we just show you the best ones Uh, so we're taking just as many if not more pictures than than most um but i often try to show both the good and bad photographs because i'm trying to teach people you know what is a bad photograph and we certainly even as professionals make make bad photography um but some uh basic tips that I always talk about that anyone can use with any kind of camera is number one, watch your backgrounds. Uh, Make sure that, you know, that proverbial telephone pole isn't coming out of someone's head or, um, you know, even foregrounds what's happening in front of and behind your subject, because uh, especially as new photographers, we tend to maybe get a little bit nervous and we want to take pictures very quickly because we don't want to bother the person. And so um, I say, make sure that, uh, you know, you're putting that person at ease. You get a, a couple good shots, but also, uh, you know, looking and be, be uh, not just focusing on the subject and forgetting about what's happening behind them and in front of them. Uh, so that's something that over time I've become uh, very aware of and I can immediately see something that's going on in the background. Now, it still happens, of course. That maybe I get a little little nervous, or I'm shooting. You right been over on on the beach and photo bombs you uh, right <laughs> yeah, <in the> exactly. <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> that you just didn't know, but uh, yeah, that's something else too that I say that can go, uh, go with you and against you. So you know, maybe you don't want that telephone pole coming out of someone's head, but you do want that. Um, that Tuareg tribesman on a camel in the background going across the dune, but with someone else in the foreground. So that adds something to that shot that, you know, could have been just a portrait, but now it's an environmental portrait that tells you a lot more about what's happening in that scene. So that's, those are things that I try to teach and that, that really come with experience Uh, The other thing you mentioned earlier is being aware of the quality and direction of light, how it's landing on your subject. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm not in the best lighting conditions right here. It's very harsh light right overhead, uh, but I don't have any natural light. And I'm in the basement, actually. Um, What what else? Uh, I I like to to tell people to create uh, to tell a story. As photographers, we're storytellers. That's that's what we're doing. We go to these wonderful places. We want to come back with interesting images that uh, tell our friends and family what we saw, what we experienced when we were there. Um, but I also created an iPhone app about 12 or 14 years ago that unfortunately is no longer on the, the app store because it's it's sort of been updated out, um, you know, with all the updates. Yeah. So it doesn't no longer works. And I uh, uh, honestly just wasn't willing to spend more money to keep it up there. Um, so uh, but it was about uh, creating a well-rounded set of images. It was it was a shot list. 
Uh, it was called My Shot Lists for Travel. And I did turn that what? app into a book because uh, I wanted people to still get that information. So it's a book on Amazon called 52 Categories of a Shot List. So it's 52 uh, categories or genres of photography, like uh, the typical landscape, architecture, people, but also uh, recreation, uh, night scenes, interiors, you know, things that you might not think. I love about. that. You could use it as a scavenger hunt for your vacation. Yeah, That's it cool. really, it really is. And it's uh, it was created so that you had a checklist. And I said, if you got five good images in 30 of those categories, because they're not all going to apply to every place you go to, uh, you got 150 solid images that tell the story of that place. And it's not just all selfies and pictures of plated food. <laughs> I love that. I did want to ask you one question. Last question about photography, then we'll play a game and get out of here. But um, you kind of mentioned setting up the the shot. And when you're thinking about telling the story, are you trying to capture the story as is, as like candids or uh, on the other side, like set up and really like tell a story as your story that you're trying to create and, and tell? How do you balance the difference between like candid and, and set up shots? Yeah, I would say I shoot, uh, I try to shoot 90 to 95% candid and, you know, maybe 5% set up. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes you, you kind of have to. Uh, like those wonderful frog pictures that you see, the red-eyed tree frogs in, in Costa Rica and stuff, uh, those are often set up because those those frogs are typically on the underside of a, a leaf at night, you know, so uh, they might have to be placed on top or on a different thing. So sometimes those those are set up, but I much prefer uh, photography that is candid because, um, you know, when you let's say you walk up to someone and you want to photograph them because they have an interesting face. As soon as you start talking to them, it's going to change the dynamics and mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not trying to sneak shots where, you know, I'm trying to disrespect someone. But as soon as I say, uh, would it be OK if I make uh, take a photograph of you? You know, either they're going to smile. Yeah, they're going to go this, you know. Yeah, it's going <laughs> to change the whole environment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not a good look. No. Uh, so. That's awesome. Well, that's a uh, that's great tips. I really appreciate you playing along today. Uh, now, are you ready to play a game? Let's do it. Here we go. You got uh, movie trivia, movie trivia today. All right. We're going to start with uh, to asking you to name a movie about a wedding or weddings in general. Wedding Crashers. Wedding Crashers. There you go. That's the number three answer. Uh, we got the top five on the card here. If you're playing the home game, you can uh, chime in on the comments as well. Oops. Looks like uh, we got one there. Uh, but, um, four weddings and a funeral, my big fat Greek wedding, the wedding planner, 27 dresses and the wedding singer. Yep. Okay. Now name a famous Steve Carell movie. Uh, 40 year old virgin. Number one answer. Congratulations, oh. Ralph. Evan Almighty, Anchorman, and Bruce Almighty uh, made the top list as well. Now, last one. This is the, the fun one. Uh, give me a sexy movie that would be awkward to watch with the in-laws. Oof. Uh, ooh, I got I to gotta really... Oh, boy. 
<laughs> it's a popular one. Popular ones, everybody. Yeah, I, mean, knows I would say answer. you know, Fifty Shades of Gray. I suppose, although I've never seen number it. one answer. I would think so. Uh, I'm yeah. still not entirely sure how that made it. It's a popular uh, book and film, but uh, Magic Mike, American Beauty, and American Pie also. Okay, made yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicely <laughs> done. All right, Ralph, you won three for three. That means uh, you get a free thirty second commercial here. I'll steal some of the low lying fruit. Uh, Continental Drifter on YouTube at Continental Drifter. Follow Ralph. Uh, find his book on Amazon and ContinentalDrifter.co is the website. But tell us more about what you do, anything you can do to help us or we can do to help you. Sure. So I organize and lead small group trips around the world. Uh, they're going to be under the continentaldrifter.co umbrella. But right now, if people are looking for those trips, you can go to photoenrichment.com or alacampagna.com. And hopefully you put some uh, links to that in the show notes. A little bit hard to pronounce uh, and spell. But uh, yeah, those are two different travel brands that I've created and uh, very uh, really nice small group trips of anywhere from four to 10 people. That's all. And about a half day scheduled, half day free times. We, we handle everything from soup to nuts. All you have to do is get to the location and we pick you up at the airport, drop you off at the end. And I tell you where to be when and handle everything in between. Uh, but there's still free time for you to go out and make your own experiences. So I didn't want to create trips where you are completely handheld 24 seven and you have no free times. Cause I think it's very important that people have time to get away from the group and create their own experiences. So that's what I've tried to do with that. And the YouTube channel is uh, geared mostly towards uh, let's say Gen X and baby boomer travelers who are looking to be inspired to travel, go to some really cool locations and I've got a lot of really good best travel tips that I recommend people check out before they hit the road because it's going to save you a lot of headache. Awesome. Sounds great. Ralph, thanks again for being on the show. This is the Playful Humans podcast. I'm Mike Montague. If you go to playfulhumans.com, you can take a personality quiz. You can check out some of the sponsors. We have some cool playful uh, games, toys, books, things that we would recommend for you to uh, go out and discover the power of play as an adult. Um, I feel like you need to share this episode with somebody that needs to hear it. Like and subscribe right now. Find uh, Ralph on whatever channel you're listening to it on this. And until next time, if you can't be good, be good at it. That's what I always say. See ya. Don't wait for tomorrow.